We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, this is Jill from The Container Store. Oh. Is there something wrong? I just thought a virtual designer would be a cool robot. I could do a robot voice if that helps. Maybe. Hi, I am Jill. Let's design. Nope, absolutely not. Regular voice, thank you. Yeah, I'm not good at impressions. Enjoy free virtual in-home closet design and up to 25% off closet systems with The Container Store's custom closet sale. The Container Store, where space comes from. Hey everybody, welcome to a best of edition of It's Time with Bruce Buffer. I'm TJ DeSantis, actually on the road, which is probably why you hear this weird echo in my room. I kind of sound like Buffer. It's time! I shouldn't have said that out loud, because I can hear myself in this room, and it didn't sound good. Uh, Hopefully you enjoyed UFC 234 last Saturday night in Melbourne, Australia. Buffer traveling back, then also hitting the road once again as the UFC makes its ESPN debut, officially, UFC on ESPN 1, this Sunday night as Cain Velasquez takes on Francis Ngannou. Uh, Figured with the turnaround from Australia one week, uh, back here stateside the next, will give Buffer uh, the week off. And I like going into the archive. We always get some good classic interviews and uh, Bruce actually suggested this one, and that's why we're doing it this week. It, it- Total Wine & More announces points with a purpose. Now through September 13th, collect five times points on wines and spirits. Points earned equals a matching donation to local charities, up to $2 million in total. Shop with us today or visit TotalWine.com. Terms and conditions apply. Is a solid interview with a man named Jeff Nowitzki. I'm sure you know uh, who he is. He was in the uh, news Uh, a lot lately with the uh, John Jones situation and uh, picograms and Tyrannoball and all that fun business. But uh, we talk about performance enhancers, the state of PEDs, and uh, Jeff Nowitzki's role uh, as the liaison between the Ultimate Fighting Championship and the United States Anti-Doping Agency, uh, commonly referred to as USADA, which some people refer to as USADA, but... It's USADA. It's the United States Anti-Doping Agency, not the United States Anti-Doping Agency. I digress. Uh, I'm on the road, as I mentioned. Uh, I'm in Kansas City this Saturday night. Um, No, scratch that. Friday night. I'm so used to fight night being on Saturday night. This Friday night, uh, live on UFC Fight Pass, uh, we've got a fun Invicta FC card headed your way. In the main event, Vanessa Porto takes on UFC veteran Pearl Gonzalez for the Invicta FC flyweight title. Plus, we kick off a four-woman flyweight tournament. So hopefully you'll check that out uh, this Friday night live on UFC Fight Pass. All right, uh, without further ado, the interview with UFC VP of Health and Performance 
It is Jeff Nowitzki on It's Time Radio. Also, a quick editor's note, this interview took place on October 2nd in 2017, which was just one day removed from the tragedy at the Route 91 Harvest Festival in Las Vegas, Nevada. So there's some talk of that there. So, uh, all right, Jeff Nowitzki, It's Time Radio. We are here now with a man that has, uh, shall we say, a lot of say-so, a lot of power, and very, very well needed in our great sport of mixed martial arts as well as, well as sports in general itself. A lot of experience, a lot of history with this man uh, who I've uh, very pleasurably become friends with and respect tremendously. I want to bring on the Vice President of Athlete and Health Performance, uh, Jeff Nowitzki. A lot of you have heard about him. A lot of you read about him. Now we're going to talk to him and meet the man behind all the headlines. Jeff, how are you? I'm good, Buff. How are you doing? Thanks for having me on. I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I mean, before we start, of course, you live in Las Vegas. Uh, this tragic situation that we opened the show with and talked about with the mass shooting has affected a lot of people in the six degrees of separation. I just want to make sure that uh, everything's good with you, and I'm sure that the office there, there's a lot of things going on with people that know people involved there. But is everything kind of copacetic or, or kind of disarray? Yeah, I mean, it's a really somber day here at the office. Uh, a couple of co-workers were actually at the event. had a chance to talk to them this morning. Um, thankfully, nobody uh, that, that works here um, was hurt other than some scrapes and bruises from, from the stampede getting out of there. Uh, but have heard some stories of friends of co-workers and, and friends of others who were affected and, and shot. But, uh, yeah, tough day. I actually landed uh, at the airport about 10 p.m., so I may have been one of the last flights to get in. And as I walked out to my car at the garage, I mean, I heard every siren, it seemed like, in uh, Las Vegas on and then on on the ride home saw all these you know black and whites with their with their red lights on heading toward the strip so I knew something was going on and turned the TV on when I got home and, and saw the, the tragic news. Yeah, it's uh, well, anyway, I just wish you and, and everybody there all the best. And again, I've, I've got to say it, I'll say it many times before the end of the show, but my, my wishes, my prayers and condolences go out to everybody affected by this tragic incident. Um, we planned this interview, and I don't mean to take away from it, I really don't because I'm very disturbed by it. But we, we planned this interview last week, and I want to go into it because I've really wanted to have you on the show for a very, very long time. And to give a little background before we start talking about the current uh, uh, state of events, your previous um, experience, you were an agent with the uh, Food and Drug Administration investigating the use of steroids in professional sports. You're the man that, uh, I don't know if the proper term is outed, busted, whatever, um, Lance Armstrong, what was considered the great Lance Armstrong at one time. Still considered so by many, I'm sure, but uh, you know his uh, situation with the steroids and all. Um, you've been a special agent for the Internal Revenue Service. I read that. My God, i got to be careful around you, Jeff. <laughs> so you have a lot of experience in various ways. The just I love to get a personal insight into people that are on the show from varied uh, walks of life. And in this case, with yours, what was and is the motivation for you um, to hold this very, very important and strong position uh, with the UFC and in the, in the sport of mixed martial arts? And, of course, when you got into it previous, what was your motivation to go to that level, to, to be the man, to make sure that we stay pure, shall we say? 
Well, I, I really got into the, the world of performance-enhancing drugs in my special agent career by accident. Uh, ran across an investigation in the San Francisco Bay Area that uh, came to be known as the Balco Laboratories investigation mm-hmm. that involved Barry Bonds, Marion Jones, about three, four dozen high-profile professional athletes really throughout the world um, that were customers of Balco. So they weren't necessarily the ones under investigation. They were more like witnesses in the case because they were receiving the performance-enhancing drugs. And really, that case got a ton of publicity. Attorney General at the time, John Ashcroft, announced the indictment of the case in a press conference in Washington, D.C. I wrote an affidavit for a search warrant to get into Balco, and that affidavit uh, shortly thereafter became public. And so my name got associated with this case. And it was really, there hadn't been very many, if any, high-profile federal investigations on the distribution of performance-enhancing drugs. So this was kind of one of the first ones. And really, from that point thereafter in my career, because my name was associated with this case, um, I would get tips, calls um, from not just here in the U.S., but really from law enforcement all over the world. So I was privy to literally every performance enhancing drug investigation uh, throughout the world the last 12, 13 years of my career. And uh, really, in, in talking you know, with those people who were making those inquiries and participating in some of those investigations myself, I really got to know the world of performance-enhancing drugs, got to know a lot about the drugs, about testing methods of how you know, leagues were or were not trying to detect the use of these drugs. But what I tell people is I think the most important you know, bit of experience that I gained from that was with the athletes who were using and then talking with those athletes. And if Bruce, if I had one conversation, I had two, three hundred with high profile athletes using PEDs and um, always took the opportunity in addition to kind of what we were looking for in our investigations to find out, hey, how did you receive the drug? How did you pay for it? I always took the opportunity of asking, hey, what led you to make this decision? What led you down this path? And I got some really, really interesting stories. And uh, a lot of people were surprised to hear me say in a lot of those cases, I came away from those explanations of saying, I kind of get why that decision was made. I don't necessarily agree with it, but get it. You know, these drugs are very, very powerful. They do exactly what a high level athlete would want them to do. They make you bigger, stronger, faster, give you more endurance. Um, And in today's day and age with the financial incentives that are out there in professional sports, man, a good, you know, in the UFC, a good fight or two in baseball, a good season or two, you know, in football, a couple of strong games can be the difference between not being in the league anymore and making millions of dollars. Um, Couple that with the fact that a lot of these athletes, you know, during this period of time, late 90s, early 2000, were not subject to, to very strong, if any, uh, anti-doping programs in their league. So uh, if the league's not testing, if you know your competitors and your teammates are probably using, if you know these drugs are going to work, if you know the financial incentive that's out there, you know, one can understand why I think you had this tidal wave of performance enhancing drug use during that time period. I, uh, I'm sorry. Sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was done. Well, I was going to say, um, I read something, a, a quote here, that you were uh, basically consider compared to uh, Elliot Ness at one time 
and I, I love that comparison. You know, Ellie Ness, the man that took down Capone and all the gangsters and everything else. And I was going to ask you the common denominator of the reason that these athletes do take these drugs, uh, which you just explained. So thank you for that. Uh, TJ has a question, but before I do, I just have one question. I've got to get off my chest before anything. Sure. We talk about Roger Maris's home run record, which, uh, if I'm not mistaken, was just tied. I could be off. But when you think about McGuire and, and when he broke the record and, and, and all this kind of stuff, those records in your mind, do you think they should stand or because of what happened, anybody that touches anything, it should just be either you're natural and you gain a record or there's no record? How do you, how do you feel yeah. about that? I mean, I don't think you can completely ignore those records because they were in an era and a time period when I think it's safe to say the majority of Major League Baseball players were using performance-enhancing drugs, including the pitchers who were pitching to these batters hitting these home runs. But, uh, you know, on the other hand, yeah, is it fair? Baseball is a comparative statistical sport. I mean, I think that's why you have a lot of fans of that sport to be able to compare something that's happening today with something that happened in the 40s and 50s. And when you're talking about home run records, you know, single season record and all time record, I think they're amongst, if not the most hallowed records in all of sports. Yes. And, um, and I think it's going to be very difficult, if not impossible, for those numbers to be reached again in baseball without the use of performance enhancing drugs. So I'd need, I think it needs to be acknowledged um, in some way, shape or form, whether it's an asterisk for the steroid era. Um, so I think both things. I don't think they can completely be ignored because they did happen. But I also right. think that, you know, have to give fairness to the era of, of that athlete that didn't compete in a steroid era and, uh, you know, making sure that those records uh, still exist and you have that comparison basis to those records. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, it's, I think it's the hardest thing to do in sports is to hit like a 98 or 96 mile an hour fastball. And even if you're taking, uh, you know, some extra vitamins to do that, the bottom line is you still got to hit the ball. But I, I, I'm against all steroids. I'm against all PEDs. I'm, I, I, w- I would work for you in your office right now if I wasn't doing what I do. That's how I feel about it. So, yeah, you know, I, I tell people all the time there was, you know, again, in Major League Baseball, I saw dozens of those athletes taking the same drug, doing the same routine. Uh, they all didn't hit 73 home runs in a season like Barry Bonds and, you know, hit the all time home run record. So there's definitely talent behind that. But if you're already one of the greatest athletes in the world and talented, these drugs will make you even greater and more talented. Exactly. Exactly. Well, they don't make it for announcers, so I'm going to stay natural if that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> TJ's got a question for you. Well, I mean, you say they don't make them for announcers, Bruce. I mean, uh, the the biggest thing I think since USADA and the UFC is partnered up is the fact that not everything is a quote unquote steroid. It's a banned substance. Right, and right. Jeff, I'm curious, um, what what qualifications of a substance does it have to meet for it to be on that banned substance list? Because when you break it down. Athletes are always looking for an edge, whether that edge be a performance-enhancing substance uh, that's banned or whether it be just getting supplements. I remember uh, former UFC title challenger Jeff Munson said to me once uh, that the, the difference between steroids and supplements are steroids are a lot cheaper and they tend to be more effective. Why not ban everything that may you know, enhance uh, an athlete's performance, even you know, over-the-counter supplements? Yeah, uh, well, first off, the the way that we determine what substances are banned is we follow the World Anti-Doping Agency, or WADA, prohibited Mm -hmm. list. And WADA is the agency that oversees all of the national anti-doping authorities throughout the world. And WADA has uh, many scientists, medical department, which study 
drugs and substances and determined, um, A, if it is performance enhancing, um, or B, if it could be a, a danger to an athlete to compete while on one of these substances. So that's how the list is determined. It's a fluid list. Um, in fact, the, the list for 2018 just came out uh, last week. And there was one substance, a substance that, you know, in, in my opinion and experience is pretty regularly used by UFC athletes. Uh, that would be CBD oil. And uh, that substance was actually taken off the list. So um, until now, that was a prohibited substance. But through studying of the, of the WADA science department, they determined, well, it's not really at a level that we consider performance enhancing. So that was taken off the list. Uh, you'll see from time to time other substances, new pharmaceutical drugs come on the market that are put on the list when scientists have determined, hey, this there is a performance enhancing element um, to this substance. So the list is fluid. They're not arbitrarily put on there. The UFC doesn't determine what, uh, what substances are on that prohibited list. Um, but there is a lot of science and a lot of thought put into what substances are prohibited. Uh, yeah, you talked about supplements. I mean, supplements are one of the scariest things in, in my world, in my business right now. Um, you or I could get a credit card and go online or go to a supplement store on the corner, and I, I could find probably dozens of supplements in that store that, A, either have prohibited substances in them, or what we find most of the time, um, a lot of these substances have uh, substances that aren't listed on the label because the raw ingredients are tainted from poor manufacturing facilities, say like in China. So it's a real danger to our athletes. Uh, the supplement world is, and we are constantly educating them about the care that's necessary in order to make smart supplement choices. I mean, we've had uh, probably a dozen, maybe more cases in the UFC uh, where athletes have tested positive as a result of contaminated supplements. Mm. Um, so it's it's an ongoing challenge and battle. Now, there's ways to make smart supplement choices in order to mitigate your, your risks. Um, that would be t uh, choosing supplements excuse me, that are third-party certified. So there are a group of companies out there independent of the supplement companies that will test every uh, sample of every lot of finished product from the supplement company. They will test samples of each lot of raw ingredients sent in. And if everything tests out, that supplement company is able to put this stamp on the label. And what we advise our athletes is if you're not taking third-party certified supplements, you are really you know, risking your career. And uh, USADA looks at that when an athlete tests positive and it's been determined that it came from a tainted supplement, they take a look. Well, how much care did this athlete take? I mean, did they take a high risk supplement or did they, you know, do their due diligence, their research and take a supplement, you know, that, that was certified in a case of if an athlete took a certified supplement and it turned out that that, you know, supplement had something in it. Um, the case could very well be that athlete was, would receive no sanction, would receive what's called a no fault sanction and basically, you know, a warning, Hey, maybe you should be even care more careful. Jeff, um, Jeff, go ahead. Jeff, quick question. When, it, when you talk about the supplements and, and by the way, I'm all for CBDs, all for CBDs, um, and the effects and, and hopefully, and, and what the benefits of them are going to be that are going to be found in the future as tests and everything go on. But with supplements, what it, uh, benefit and does it happen that as a fighter for the UFC, aside from the water list and everything else, do they have to supply you or or the proper body and uh, 
governing uh, body with a list of the actual vitamins and everything they take and who makes them to help avoid this from happening. So if it comes out, then we they, they say, well, I forgot to put that on the list, which makes them even more guilty of that situation. Yeah, good question, Bruce. So every new athlete and every time a UFC fighter is tested, um, USADA asks those athletes to declare on a form every supplement and every medication that's being used. Um, the reason they do that so that if a athlete does test positive and it turned out that it was from a supplement, that athlete can say, look, I wasn't trying to hide anything. It wasn't like I knew this supplement was contaminated and didn't want to tell you. Um, I've disclosed it all out there, you know, out front. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that, it becomes an issue if an athlete tests positive, turns out to be a supplement, and USADA goes back and looks and says, ah, you didn't declare that right. uh, when we asked you that. So our advice to our athletes and any that are tuning in and watching here is declare every supplement that you're using to USADA every time you're asked that question uh, during a drug collection sample. And then update it if you add another supplement. You can you can addendum your situation and put in an update. This is the next one I'm taking. I've just started taking this. So they can notify you anytime Absolutely. they take a new supplement. Absolutely. A good majority of my day, Bruce, is spent answering questions on supplements. And that's that's fantastic. I have a good day. Right. The more calls and texts and emails I'm getting from our athletes asking asking me to check their supplement because that means they're paying attention. Well, as they say, communication is key, right? <laughs> so absolutely. Go ahead, TJ. You know, Bruce, we've talked in the past about uh, the film Bigger, Stronger, Faster, and in that film, they actually go through the process of um, making a supplement and putting it out there, and largely, like it's just a bunch of BS that's in the pill. Yes. Um, the Food and Drug Administration don't oversee these supplements. Jeff, obviously, you know uh, a thing or two about the FDA. How is it that these supplements can even be sold over the counter in a, you know, a corner store, as you were mentioning, when there's really no true oversight to what people are putting in their bodies? Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting. A couple things. First off, DJ, uh, Chris Bell, who made Bigger, uh, Faster, Stronger, and I have actually become pretty close and become friends. So great, great guy. Really enjoyed that movie. It really took a look and, you know, an unbiased look at all the issues. Uh, yeah, I mean, after ha having come most recently from the FDA, so the FDA does regulate the supplement industry. However, there's no pre-market review of mm. supplements. So what that means, and Chris dealt with this in, in his film, is that the three of us could go down to a corner lot and dig up, you know, some dirt and throw it in a bottle and label it and it can go right on the shelf of a supplement store. There's no approval that needs to be made by the government or by FDA. The FDA only becomes involved and enforces um, the supplement regulations once they figure out there's an issue with a supplement that's already on the market. So what that means is the UFC athletes, that means other professional athletes, college athletes, high school athletes, everybody, the, the United States consumer is, you know, is at risk. And in some cases are, are guinea pigs based on things that they're taking that they probably think, well, it's on the shelf of a GNC. It must be okay. That's not necessarily the case. So really not just 
professional athletes, but everybody should, should be concerned and take great care and, and their choice of supplements. Absolutely. And, you know, a lot of people live in the moment. Uh, perception is reality, of course, with pretty much everybody. But when I used to have my nutritional company, I touched on you in Tokyo when we were talking with, I remember back then, the biggest thing we were concerned about, uh, we our formulas were great with the Eastern and Western doctors to put everything together, but our biggest concern was the labeling laws. Where you got to deal with FDA is in the labeling laws. And if you could buy the labeling laws and you put that dirt in the bottle, then it's going to sell off that shelf. And then the problems are going to occur. You know, it, I, I think that's hopefully changed by now with labeling laws, but I'm sure they're even more strict than ever. Um, one of the things our audience would like to know about is the subject of marijuana. There's CBD and there's marijuana, but the active, you know, recreational drug marijuana. Could you clarify to our audience exactly what the ruling is on marijuana usage uh, as far as our athletes and, and you know, water by general? Yeah, absolutely. So marijuana or the active ingredient, the psychoactive ingredient in marijuana, THC, uh, first off, is only tested for during in-competition period. And the definition of in-competition in the UFC's program is basically weigh-in day and fight day. So really, those two days are the only days a UFC athlete would be tested. And then um, per the WADA rules, which we follow, there must be a threshold that succeeded for uh, an athlete to test positive for THC. And that threshold is 150 nanograms per milliliter. Um, that may mean not mean a lot to your listeners, but in comparison, a few years few years ago, the WADA threshold was 15 nanograms per milliliter. So it's been increased tenfold. Um, the reason being was I think they discovered that there was uh, trace uh, amounts of THC could be left in a system long after an individual stopped using it. Um, so really, you know, the, the main reason marijuana is prohibited, I think, it, you know, it can be considered a, a safety issue if somebody was under the influence while competing, definitely fighting. Um, so you want to, you know, you want to eliminate and avoid that. But the reality is, you know, while everybody's different, uh, most UFC athletes, if they were even regular marijuana users, and I think we have many that have, you know, medical licenses medical prescriptions and now we have many states where it's legally recreationally um, but the reality is if if a fighter would stop using you know in the couple weeks prior to an in-competition period they're going to be well clear of the THC over that threshold in their system very cool thank you for saying that because I personally don't think marijuana is a PED by any standards uh, it's definitely an HED it's a hunger enhancing drug There's no <laughs> <question>. <laughs> TJ has something to ask you. yeah no um, a, a lot is made Jeff, about the pre-USADA era and the post-USADA era in the UFC. And one thing that I, I mean, I'm not throwing accusations out there, but the, the banned substance list has gotten um, much larger and what you can ingest and can't ingest has changed quite a bit. And one thing that I wasn't aware of, and I don't know what it stands for, but uh, are SARMs. Can you can you tell me and maybe our listeners a little bit more about uh, SARMs and, and, and how they're not the traditional like steroid that a lot of people think that USADA is outlawing, but these these substances have you know just as good of a, an effect as a steroid, but is uh, you know more. I mean, how how would you break it down? I guess you're you're the expert more than me. Yeah, SARMs are you know in layman's terms a, a designer version of steroids. So they are made and and genetically altered steroids so that they will trigger the receptor in a body to get the exact desired effect without a lot of the side effects. Um, so they're very very effective and very very little side effects, which would be you know something that a professional athlete 
using performance-enhancing drugs would seek. Um, a lot of them coming online all the time. And the problem with anti-doping is you need to know what you're testing for in order to find it. Uh, so it's really, it's a cat and mouse game. And a lot of times from the anti-doping side of things, a catch-up game. Um, you know, once the anti-doping scientists realize, hey, there's a new drug and potentially a new SARM on the market being used, they then have to go into their laboratories and develop a test for it. Um, so you could see several months, you know, maybe a year uh, lag time before that test is available. So it's it's definitely a concern with SARMs and other what we call designer drugs. And those are drugs where a known drug chemical makeup is slightly altered. And once that alteration is made, it's difficult to detect that drug, yet it will still have the same performance-enhancing qualities going forward. Um, so, you know, the unfortunate reality of anti-doping is, uh, you know, it's again, it, it's a catch-up game, a cat-and-mouse game. Um, but on the other side, uh, we're seeing testing get a lot more sophisticated. We're seeing tests where, um, you know, a substance may in the past have been detectable for a day or two, and scientists are finding that long-term metabolites of that drug can be in the system for maybe up to six months. So that detection window in a lot of cases is getting, you know, a lot longer, which is a good thing. And it's a good thing to get that message out there too. Um, so that athletes know that, Hey, this drug may be okay to take now, but you know, a couple months down the line, they may have a test for it that can trace back, you know, six months, what I was doing. Uh, I'm curious too, Jeff, like the availability of these SARMs and the legality seem to be a bit questionable because I've looked online and I, I've noticed, you know, certain athletes in other sports uh, have tested positive for, for these things. And I've, I've looked online and it seems like you can buy them straight off the internet and have them delivered to your door, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're, they're legal by any means. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think we all can agree the internet's a great thing, but on the other side of things, it's a very scary thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, it makes all kinds of things that much more accessible for, for everybody, uh, including um, kids. You know, mm -hmm. I saw in yeah. my, my FDA career, you know, all it takes is a kid with a, an internet connection and their parents' credit card to buy things which could be very, very harmful um, to a kid, you know, in their teens. So, yeah, the unfortunate reality is while SARMs, you know, designer in nature, um, while they really haven't been tested, they're not approved for medical use here in the U.S. because there's never been any short or long-term testing on their effects. They are very readily available uh, with just an internet connection and a credit card. You know, uh, testosterone has been a big subject over the years uh, with fighters and, you know, with many athletes and human beings and everything else. Stepping away from the athlete who uh, goes over the level of, of allowed TRT therapy, if they're allowed that, uh, you know, that break, if that's the proper term. How do you feel about testosterone for non-athletes and just basically as a subject, men and women, women, not just men, but women are taking TRT therapy in their 40s, their 50s and their 60s? Um, can you comment on that as far as how you feel that that is for somebody there that's not in a professional realm? Uh, do you think it's safe under doctor's orders for them to take the amount of testosterone that prescribed? Or do you think there's long-term effects that people are not taking into consideration and living in the moment? 
Yeah, I think really, Bruce, all the above. I think you hit on on all the points there. Um, you look at you know anti aging medicine, and it's a booming medicine uh, here in this country. Um, you know, anecdotally, I know a lot of people uh, in their older age that are on testosterone replacement therapy and and have what they feel are great results. Mm-hmm. Um, I also know that when you're talking about testosterone, steroids, human growth hormones, um, any type of cancerous growth or tumors um, can be like throwing fuel on fire. Um, so, you know, as with any medication, I think there there are, you know, there can be dangers and side effects to it. But hey, if done under the care of uh, and supervision of a physician and someone who's, you know, being tested right quite regularly, there appear to be some anecdotally, at least evidence out there right now that people are, you know, enjoying better quality of life as they're getting older. So I think, you know, we're still a little bit early on um, in that that type of medicine. Um, But, you know, it sure looks like, uh, you know, things are heading in that direction. And a lot of people are, are choosing choosing those therapies. Hold another can of worms now when you're talking about uh, an MMA fighter. Um, and we did see a TRT era previous to the USADA era, era where commissions were uh, allowing athletes who showed low testosterone levels to um, bring those levels up to you know moderate amounts. I think that is a super, super slippery slope, though, and right. don't think it's one that can be regulated. I think the reality is if you have a medical condition where your testosterone um, is that low, then maybe MMA and fighting isn't the sport for you. Um, retire from fighting and then, you know, Go yeah. get that treatment legally. I think would be, uh, you know, my opinion on that. Exactly, and 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 as the saying goes, more is not better, especially in that subject. If somebody tells you to take a unit or a half unit or whatever your thing is, you don't take three. You don't take vials of HGH, and and you know I can see it in people. I won't mention names, but bone growth, head growth, foot growth. You know, it's like, is that what you really want? You know, it's just whatever. We'll see. We'll see how that turns out. There was something else I wanted to say on the on the T level. Um, go ahead, TJ. I'll you think here. about it. I'll yeah. I'll come back. Uh, Jeff, you have one of the more interesting jobs. I think uh, to a lot of people, you're cleaning up the sport, but to a good chunk of people, uh, you're a villain. What are your thoughts when you see people going, oh, USADA is ruining the sport. I can't believe this is happening to my favorite fighter. Because I think there's a need for this, but also a, a lot of fans on you know the, the opposite side of the aisle seem to think that while USADA is cleaning up the sport, and what you're doing is a good thing. Uh, sometimes it gets in the way of the matchups and the fights that fans want uh, so desperately. I just want to say before you answer, Jeff, that for those listening and people out there that ever think you're a villain, you're one of the nicest guys in the world. Can I just put that in there real quick, please? <laughs> I appreciate that, Bruce. Yeah, it's hey, this is anyone who thinks this position is is an easy position and every day goes the same, and it's uh, it's not. It's it's very difficult, and I tell everybody when you know, especially these higher profile you know fighters come up positive or being pulled from cards. They're some of the most difficult days career rise that I have ever had. Um, the goal of any anti-doping uh, program, in, in my experience and belief, is to make it so strong that you set a deterrent on the front end. 
so that you're not having to catch, you know, multiple athletes under your program. Um, I kind of feel like when an athlete's caught under I, uh, our program and test positive, I look inward and say, what, what did I do wrong? How did I not educate or get to that athlete to tell them, look, if you're using something, it's going to eventually be caught and there's going to be repercussions. So we are constantly trying to modify kind of our education message and outreach message to our athletes so that they hear loud and clear at the beginning about how strong this program is and set that deterrent on the front end. On the other side of things, look, I, I cannot be more proud of this program. And, you know, I talked earlier about the, the different investigations I was involved in. And there I really didn't see any sports that were untouched by PEDs. And, um, you know, morally, I feel very strongly about the integrity of sports. But when it comes to the MM, MMA and when it comes to the UFC, we are on such a different level than any other sport as it comes to PED usage. You are already talking about the most skilled fighters on the planet Earth. And when you start um, injecting into that equation artificial enhancement via, via use of PEDs, it's a recipe for disaster. Uh, someone was going to get hurt, seriously hurt, if not, you know, killed from someone who was on PEDs fighting someone else. And so what we've done here and, and, you know, it's always difficult to measure the success of a program. I don't think you necessarily measure it on the amount of positive tests you get because, you know, maybe you aren't catching everybody. I tend to measure it just anecdotally on those conversations. And Bruce, you probably had a lot of those yourself with yes. fighters, yes. with camps mm -hmm. and and everything I'm hearing is that it's night and day from three or four years ago to what it is now. And uh, the overwhelming majority of our fighters, well, hey, there's no arguing. This this program is a burden. It is not an easy program to be a UFC fighter um, under this program, having to, to tell your SADA where you can be contacted every day of the year, submitting to drug tests at 5.30, 6 a.m. in the morning, 10, 11 o'clock at night, having needles stuck in your arm. It is a burden. But the the overwhelming majority um, uh, embrace that burden because they know that it's making the sport healthier and safer for them. On the lighter side, just on what you just said, uh, and I won't mention a name, but one of the fighters I know, it was very early. It was like 5.30 in the morning, and he was in the midst of lovemaking with his girlfriend. And <laughs> when, the, when the knock came on the door, and he said he answered the door with a heart on. Because <laughs> you know, oh, like, it couldn't go away. It's like, what do you want? Are you kidding? I'm, I'm with my girl. Can you come back later? No, we got to take the test. Oh, a little, little inconvenience there, Jeff. <laughs> hey, hey, Jeff, uh, I'm curious real quick. A lot of questions have been brought up um, recently about punishments for certain athletes, and, and I'm curious – um, not necessarily specifically related to John Jones, but I had a chance to speak with Andy Foster following the Jones positive, and, and we were talking a little bit about how USADA was an approved collection agency for the CSAC. And when it comes to handing down penalties, I'm a little bit confused because obviously USADA hands down suspensions for UFC athletes. Um, if an athlete tests positive in a jurisdiction overseen like California, they're entitled to hand down uh, a suspension and, and fines and levies as well. Um, if USADA hands down a suspension to a, a UFC athlete who then is released from their contract and goes elsewhere, say a, a Bellator, um, is is a USADA suspension 
recognized by you know the Association of Boxing Commissions? Is it is it something that is enforced even if they you know are away from a UFC contract, or are they free to do whatever they want to now that they would be no longer under UFC employ? Yeah, really cool thing this summer. So the ABC convention that was back in Connecticut this year, they actually voted to uh, at least recognize on the ABC database any USADA UFC suspension. So that, you know, say in the scenario where a UFC fighter tested positive, USADA issued, you know, a two year sanction, um, the, the fighter, you know, was cut by the UFC or left and went to go fight somewhere else in another, you know, commission under the ABC that commission would see on the ABC database that that fighter had, you know, an active USADA suspension. Now, second part of your question, whether or not a commission would have to adhere to that suspension. No, I mean, that's on a commission by commission basis. Um, you know, I think most of the commissions likely would um, recognize that suspension. And we're really, you know, happy to have that suspension at least recognized on the ABC database. But ultimately, it comes down to a commission by commission decision. Interesting. Um, listen, I know you have a lot to do today. But before you leave, obviously, we have one subject we have to ask you about. Can you please update and break down the John Jones situation. I know that the ruling has not come down yet, but if you could just go into where he got, why he got to where he is now and what, if tell us what you can tell us. How, how about that? What, what yeah, do we expect well, here? you know, really not much to update, but there's enough out there in the public realm that, you yeah. know, that I can talk about it. So, um, John, uh, tested positive from a sample collection done way in day before for the UFC event in Anaheim. Um, that was in July. Um, basically, um, you know, he had, he was just coming off a one-year suspension. Um, the previous suspension uh, went to arbitration, so you had three independent arbitrators looking at it, mm-hmm. and all of them ruled that he did not purposely um, use anything to enhance his performance, but they also ruled that he operated in such careless and reckless disregard for what he t- took that ended up being contaminated that there was really no reduction in sanctions. So he got a one-year uh, sanction from that previous one. Now, unfortunately, um, on this one, because of that previous sanction, he's potentially looking at, you know, a second sanction, which would basically double your penalties. Um, the, the substance that he tested positive for um, was a metabolite of an anabolic steroid. Um, it was uh, one by the name of oral terinabol. And kind of as I was talking with earlier about new testing coming online, um, that was a substance where a few years ago would only be detectable for a few days in the system. Now, uh, laboratories have found long-term metabolites tests where the metabolites can be detected for maybe up to six months after use. Wow. Um, however, John submitted clean tests on July 6th and July 7th of 2017. Um, his positive test was from July 29th. Um, a simple Google search would show you that this substance, the detection window, has now moved out from four to six months. 
Um, so it doesn't make a lot of sense with that anybody with any level of sophistication would choose to use this drug. And it had to have been used after July 7th or entered his system after July 7th. It would not make sense to go to this drug because of the, you know, multi-month detection window. Um, so, you know, right now, at least from the things that are out there, that would lead me to believe that it was probably from you know, non-purposeful ingestion. Now, the issue again with John is he's likely going to be held to a very high standard about the care that he took regarding what into his, went into a system because he had already gone through that a year ago with his previous sanction. Um, so really where we're at right now is, you know, John's team is working hard. Uh, we're assisting them wherever they can to try to determine how this substance got into his system. Right. Um, sometimes that's not a, a quick process. Um, it can take weeks, if not months, of testing supplements, of retracing your steps. So uh, that's really where we're at in the process right now with John. So there is there a chance with all this you know, cooperation you're giving them and they're giving you that he could get away from this? Or in your, I know you, you, in your guesstimate, are we looking at a four-year suspension for John? Or if he finds out, if you find out in some way that he was in no way aware, if that can be proven, that he took this, is there a chance that of restitution that will get out of this? Or are we looking at the greatest fall from grace I've ever seen an athlete go through? I mean, you've, you've dealt with Lance Armstrong, Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, and now John Jones. Uh, second part of the question, is this one of the greatest falls from grace you've ever seen an athlete go through that had so much potential? Yeah, I mean, it's first off, you know, I think we're really looking at all scenarios are still on the table. I think, you know, best case scenario, if he showed that this came from something that, you know, was not high risk, that, you know, how would someone know to take this, that it would be in it? I'll give you a perfect example. We've had several cases in Mexico and China uh, positive for a substance called clenbuterol. And come to find out, clenbuterol is actually given to cattle in those countries, and that low levels of clenbuterol can pass through the meat and get in the system of those who consume the meat. Wow. So in those instances, USADA has basically given no fault sanction. So there was no suspension. They said, hey, you know, maybe you should be a little careful going forward, choosing what butchers you go to, but we can't really hold you liable for that. Uh, so something like that on the table, yeah, I mean, would, would be a best case scenario for John. And we have seen instances under the program where there's no sanction at all. Um, should it result from a supplement that was high risk, um, then obviously, you know, we're in another another area there and again based on his previous sanction probably would not look good for him yeah Yeah, in terms of the biggest fall from grace i mean hard to say he's i'm just you know i tell you how much these personally affect me and sure uh the two toughest days in my career at the ufc were his first one you know what three days before ufc 200 and i had to call dana up and tell him that you know his main event was going off and this is probably the second uh toughest one um just because where john has come from how far he fought to get back i you know i don't know bruce if you talked to him after that most recent win i thought he did everything right amazing after the fight backstage like he couldn't have been on point better and um i was so happy i've gotten to know yeah i've gotten to know him very well through helping him through the first one and I'm just really so so disappointed and and hope that the scenario where 
you know, we can show that there is little, if any, fault in what, how it entered his system is the one that comes out. Well, thank you for that. I mean, it's very kind, very strong, and very uh, descriptive words of truth. And um, I'm with you all the way. I, I was so taken with John, the way he handled his after-fight interview. Uh, it, was just, it, was just, it was just beautiful. And I, like I said before in my show, I almost put my hand through the wall of my office the morning I read this. Speaking of food being tainted, be careful. There was an article a couple weeks ago that Alaskan salmon is showing traces of cocaine. So <laughs> if that happens, ask them what they had for dinner last night, will you please, and where they, where they got it. it. This is part of the problem going on in the world. There's so much contamination in so many areas. You've got to consider all these areas, too. I, I have to tell you before I go, Jeff, getting to know you has truly been a pleasure. My respect for you and what you have to do uh, in our great sport and in sports in general is unheralded. You're, in my opinion, aside from being the powerful men that run the UFC and, and run you know other areas of the sport, I think personally you're one of the most important men uh, in position in this sport. And I thank you for your passion to the athletes, your care of the athletes, everything you do for the athletes. And you're certainly, in my book, nowhere near a villain. You're a savior and you're a sheriff. And, and I respect that tremendously. So I bow to you, sir. I really, I really do. It's great to have you on board. And um, I can't say anything more, but really thanks for coming on the show. This has been very, we've been looking forward to this for a long time. You got it, Bruce. I appreciate it. And as you know, we've spoken about, uh, I admire so much what you do and Thank all you. the events. I'm out, you know, 70, 80 percent of the events and you set the tone every single one of them uh, early on. And uh, yeah, you're a really talented guy and it's a pleasure getting to know you and consider you my friend as well. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you very much. You have a great day, and my best wishes to everybody there with this horrific situation going on. I will see you next Friday. Let's uh, get back to normal and uh, provide the amount of great entertainment that the UFC does provide and us as a team. And a pleasure to work with you, Jeff. And thank you so much for coming on my show. Thank you so much. You got it, guys. Thanks a lot. Hi, this is Stephanie from Safeway. Exciting news. Safeway, Chevron, and Texaco are offering even more savings at the pump. Now through September 8th, shop at Safeway and redeem up to $1 per gallon in gas rewards at participating Chevron and Texaco stations and at Safeway fuel stations. Shop Safeway this week and earn up to $1 per gallon in gas rewards. This is Stephanie from Safeway, and we'll see you soon. Maximum gas reward at participating Chevron or Texaco stations is $1 per gallon in a single fill-up, up to 25 gallons for a limited time. Other restrictions and exclusions apply. See complete details in-store or at Safeway.com. Total Wine and More announces points with a purpose. Now through September 13th, collect five times points on wines and spirits. Points earned equals a matching donation to local charities, up to $2 million in total. Shop with us today or visit TotalWine.com. Terms and conditions apply. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.